All right, hey, while they're heading out, um, turn over to Revelation 22, beginning in verse 6, and, and that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Revelation 22 through the end. And so um, as, as you do that, uh, we have been in the book of Revelation for, I guess, 10 months ago we started. So I figured I spent nine full months in, in Revelation, and I think we took like a four-week break. But, but we have been going on this for a long time, so why? Why would you spend so much time in one book? I mean, why does it matter? Why is this stuff important? Why is something in the future that we look at, and, and pretty much, you know, if we're honest with each other, we come in and think of the re- Revelation, we think, well, this is something for the future. This is something that's, that's out there, and, and why would we spend time on that? And, and um, then let, let's just be honest with each other. This was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, since Jesus pulled back the veil, he opened up the curtain for John. He opened up the curtain for John to see what was going on then, what's going on now, what's going on in the future, what had been. He, he, he let John have this glimpse of, of what is, of what is real, of, of the whole realm of, of things that we don't see. He saw what is unseen for us, and, and it seems, you know, as we come into that, and, and, and we see, you know, Jesus says, I'm coming soon, um, we think, wow, 2,000 years ago, that, that doesn't seem like soon to me. How long will it be? How long Is it going to be 2,000 more? Is it going to be two weeks? You know, where, when is Jesus coming back? And <clears throat> so to answer it, we really need to look at the purpose of the book. What's the purpose of this book? Why? And, and when we come to the epilogue, the, the last uh, 15 verses, you see the reason for it. So as you come in in, in, in Revelation 2, uh, 22, verses 6 through 21, John writes, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. These are the words of Jesus. And then John says, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So, as we come in here to to the book of of Revelation, it it really... um, kind of lays out the purpose of, of it all. The, the epilogue kind of gives us an understanding of the big picture of it all. And really today we're going to spend most of our time looking at the application of it. Why, why does this matter? What, what do we do with it? How does it impact us as believers? And there are two, there, there are several books that I've studied as I've come along, but there have been two that I've really uh, leaned into heavy. One's by a guy named Osborne. And um, Osborne sums up this like in this way he says this complex epilogue serves as the perfect conclusion to the book for it sums up the key emphasis and here they are the sovereignty of god the soon return of christ and the necessity of both conversion for unbelievers and perseverance on the part of believers he just breaks it down into three things uh beale is is the other one his book's a little bit fatter and so his, his, he, he takes a little bit more words. But he says, The epilogue shows clearly that the purpose of the book is to induce holy obedience among God's people in order that they receive the reward of salvation. No less than eight of the final 16 verses underscore this intention, either through exhortations to obedience, through promised blessings for holy living, or through warnings of judgment for unholy living. This is in keeping with chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where the main point was blessing for obedience. Such blessing is one of the main goals of the revelation and of John's witness to it. So this, is, this kind of gives us a little bit of a, a, a look at it. And basically, I, I think when we commit this, really it's a template for the Christian life. If you come in here, if you boil all this stuff down and come in here and what he, how he sums it up, it's kind of a template for how we live today, how we live out our lives as followers of Jesus. He gives us hope. It encourages us to be faithful to God, to be faithful to his word, um, faithful to the God who made us, the God who came for us, the God who redeems us, the God who is with us, the God who promises to restore us. So here are three responses that, that as we come in, three different ways that, that we do this as we come in and, and we look <clears throat> at this. The first one is to be a faithful witness of Jesus. Be a faithful witness of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> this begins by living out your life in faithful obedience to the word of God into the person of Christ. It, it just means that I'm going to make the Bible the reality in my life. I think, honestly, the older I get, pretty much if you ask me what's true and what's not, I'll tell you, you know what? If it's true, it's found in the Word of God. And if it's not found in the Word of God, and it's contrary to the Word of God, it's a lie. And, and it brings destruction. And, and, and so I, I think that coming in here, the first thing that, that I would say that we need to look at is that we need to be faithful witnesses of Christ. In, in Luke 9.23, Jesus said this. 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The call of Revelation, the message of Revelation, it's a call to faithful obedience. When, when, when you come to the end here where he says, look, if anybody adds to these words or he takes away from these words, the curses, you're going to experience the curses. This goes back all the way to Moses. Moses said the same thing with the covenant that God gave there. He said, look, you follow it. You don't go to the right. You don't go to the left. You stay right on the line. And, and this is where we come in. And, and, and so we see a message here. It's not new. It's not a new message. It's not a new word to the people of God. It's an affirmation of everything that's come, and it's an unveiling and letting us see everything that is in the plans and the purposes of God. So the call of revelation, it's the call to faithful obedience. This is what Jesus called his disciples to, Luke 9, 23. Look, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Exactly. Jesus said, you follow me, and I'll make this happen. You walk with me, and I will bring this to pass. You step into me and watch me do what only I can do. So that's the original call to the 12 disciples. Um, It it was the call to the patriarchs. It was the call to God's people throughout the ages. And and to refuse to follow Jesus is to deny him. This is the next thing coming in in this book. It's saying, look, if we refuse to follow him, it means that we don't know him. If we refuse to walk with him, it means that, that he's not real to us. In 1 John 2, 3, John wrote this. He said, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So if, if you wonder, you know, do I belong to Jesus? I mean, do I really belong to Jesus? Look, just look at your life. I mean, if it reflects the word of God, then that in and of itself says something. It says that there's a reality within me. Um, but, but on the other side, if you can live your life in willful disobedience to God, you, know, you, you can come to church, but you can look at the Bible and go, yeah, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, but this is now. Things have changed. Or you can rationalize things in any shape, form, or fashion. You come in there and just say, you know what? I know this, but... That should raise questions. That should drive you to repentance. You see, it, it, this drives us when, when we look at our lives and, and we look into the mirror of God and we look into the mirror of his word and our lives don't stack up to that word, it should drive us to repentance. It should, it should be like a knife in our heart that says we're not honoring the God who made us. I'm not honoring the God who loves me. I'm not honoring the God who came for me. So it's, it's, um, it's this thing. So if it doesn't bother you, what John is saying, look, if this doesn't bother you, you really ought to question whether or not you know Jesus. You should question whether he is real. So First John 5, 3, John writes this. He said, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's, that's the part I love. God says, you know what? I've got a way for you to live, and it's not a burden. It's a joy. 
Or as Jesus said in uh, <clears throat> Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and gentle of heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, Come plow with me. You're going to plow no matter what, but you, you should step into something that is joyous and beneficial to you. Um, in John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So <clears throat> we're called to be a faithful witness to Jesus. The angel tells John <coughs> here, John comes in the second time this happens in the book. But, but he goes and he's caught up in awe to this um, angelic being, which, I mean, honestly, if an angel popped down here in the front, we would probably wig out too. You know, I mean, that's just the truth. Um, but John fell down in worship and, and the angel says, stop it. Get up. Get up. Don't worship me. I'm created just like you are. It said, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So here is his command to worship God. Last week we talked about worship and worship. The word used back in verse 3 was latruo, which means to serve. So worship, serving is an act of worship. And in other words, as you go out and you live your life, you go to work tomorrow and, and you go do your job, you do your job to the glory of God. You do it as if serving the Lord. You do it in such a way when the people that you work for, you work with, or, or you're providing the service for, whatever that might be, whether you own the company or you're the guy down there at the very bottom of the totem pole, where it reflects that I am doing this with integrity and honor and I'm I'm doing it not for you. I'm doing it for God. So as we come into that, what, it, what it's saying is, is that I'm living my life to the glory of God and I'm making him known. So it's just, that, that is a form of service. And that service is also worship. So the way that you live your life out, it, it is worship. You know, the way that you do your job, that is worship. Um, so we, we do things to the glory of God. So that verse describes it as, as um, serving this one, this one has nothing to do with service. This word here means on your face, on the floor, before God. This is fear of God. This is reverence towards God. This is God is almighty. This is I have just had my mind absolutely blown out. And I am before God in worship, on my face, before Him. Um, it is coming into this book saying, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and follow him. So this is being a faithful witness and kind of coming in, in, in broad categories here because we're not going through this today like word by word, phrase by phrase, but we're taking the big idea of it all. And one of the big ideas as you come in and you wrap up the book is that we are called to be faithful witnesses to Christ. We are called to live our lives out for the world to see, to be faithful to him in all things. The second thing is that we need to beware of the subtle and seductive idols in our church and our culture. And yes, I did say the idols in our church. You see, our preferences drive this more than anything else because we allow our comforts 
to be our God. We allow our preferences to drive what we worship or they drive our idea of worship as we come in here. In Psalm 37.4, the psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, sometimes people throw that around there and say, look, if you'll just delight yourself in the Lord, you get whatever you want. No, that's, that's dumb. What it says is, is when, when God is the thing that you want more than anything else, he's there. It says, if you desire God more than anything else, he'll show up. Or Jesus put it like this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, satisfied. In other words, God says, when you want me more than anything else, that's when it happens. That's when it happens. That's when it is really real. Psalm 73, 25 to 28 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. In other words, delight yourself in the Lord. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. So as we come in here, in this, we're called to worship God. Worship God. He is to be primary in all things, and we need to be aware of the subtle and seductive idols that creep into our lives. They creep into our churches. They creep into our homes. They creep into the things around us. And anything that we allow to become more important to us than God, it's an idol. It's just stuff that we want more than we want God. This world has all kinds of distractions and desires. There are all kinds of things that vie for our attention. And ultimately, none of them will fill us. Solomon put it this way, you know, Solomon, he, he's the wealthiest guy on the planet, wise man, all, all this stuff, lived a life of folly. To be the wisest man on the earth, he lived a life of folly. And, and you, if you go back and you study his life in, in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you, know, you come through and, and you come to the chronicles of the life of Solomon, what you'll find is a guy with 700 wives, 300 concubines. He married outside of the faith. He, he violated everything that God told him to do, basically. And in Ecclesiastes, he talks about it. He said, vanity of vanities. It's all meaningless. I've done it all. I've tried it all. I've had experiences. I've had adventures. I've had possessions, women, you name it. I've had it all. He said, I tried everything. I didn't deny myself a thing. And then at the end of the book, in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. I've shared, I've shared it all with you. Here's where it goes down. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He just wraps it up. He says, you know what? I've had it all. None of it worked. Nothing filled the void. Nothing scratches the itch. And the reality is for us today, 
I mean, so, man, you're talking about Solomon. You're talking about people 2,000 years ago. What about us today? Look, you can't fill your heart today. You can't fill the emptiness in your heart with anything other than Jesus. It just won't happen. It's not possible. It is totally impossible to fill the emptiness in your heart with anything other than Christ. Uh, another way, there was a really, really, really smart guy named Blaise Pascal. Pascal was, um, <clears throat> a few centuries ago, French philosopher and mathematician. As a matter of fact, if you study science, you'll find that there are scientific measurements that are called Pascals. You know, when you get stuff named after you, you're smart. But the other side of him was he, he was, he was pretty much white hot in his faith. And what he said was, he said, every man has a hole in his heart that only God can fill. Only God can fill it. And this is just the reality. This is what we see in the book of Revelation. We see it as you go back to these seven churches. You see them trying to walk the line between the culture and the faith and, and, and leaning into the culture so that their faith doesn't impact their response to people around them or it doesn't cause them to suffer. There, there are many different ways that this plays out in this book. <clears throat> but trying to fill the emptiness in our hearts or trying to get ahead in any way other than Jesus, it just leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. You may gain the world, but you'll lose everything that matters. This is where he's leading us. So you see, the joy <clears throat> will soon pass away of the moment, and it's just going to be replaced with emptiness because you, fill, you try to fill a hole with something that won't fill it. It feels good for a little while, and then all of a sudden you go, you know what? I'm still empty. I'm still empty. I'm still looking. I'm still trying to fill it, and it's not there. Maybe, maybe it's the shiny new toy that you've been wanting and you've been saving for. Maybe you just threw down the credit card and didn't even care. You, know, you, got, you got the new rifle, and you thought it would be the cat's meow, and you thought that it would make you the greatest hunter ever, and what you found out was you're still just as bad as you were before. And now you got that gun, and you're making payments on it every month. Or now you got that gun, and every time you walk by it, your wife sees you, she just laughs. Or maybe it was that new gadget that you had to have for the kitchen. And you thought that that would make everything work out perfect. And now that you've had it for a while, you know what it is? Where do I store it? Where do I store it? That really describes us, doesn't it? You know, we want, we want, we want. But our wants don't satisfy our needs. You see, this world has many distractions and desires. And Jesus is the one who fills it. <clears throat> Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you just thought, you know, if I could just have this relationship, I would be satisfied. I would be filled. I would be complete. And then you enter into the relationship and you realize, I'm just with another sinful human being. And they have needs 
and they want me to meet those needs, but I want them to meet my needs. And now you're worshiping a person rather than God. I've been married almost 34 years. Absolutely amazing. My wife is the total opposite of me. Absolute. I mean, look, if we went to take a personality test, I could answer hers and she could answer mine by picking the opposite of what I think's right. We've even done it. We've even done it. Because I've had to do some of those things. And, uh, but, It's absolutely amazing. And the thing that makes it work is that there's something bigger than us. You see, I can't be Jesus for her, and she can't be Jesus for me. I can't meet her deepest need, and she can't meet mine. But if we go to him and have him meet our deepest need, then together, man, it's lightning in a bottle. It's amazing. Wealth won't fix us. Look, if wealth would fix us, we'd be the happiest people on the planet. We're the wealthiest people in the history of the world. You think wealth will make us happy? Nah. You can go into a village where they don't have running water, anything modern, or anything else, and they'll be, you'll find all kinds of happy people. Why is this book important? It shows us to fill the void and cautions us not to let anything but Jesus fill it. You see, this is what he's calling us to, not to our preferences. We talk about maybe <clears throat> our idols in church. Our idols in church, you come in and look at these are all the idols that we face in our lives, but then we face these idols in church. In church we come in and, and, and we want certain things. Our pre we have preferences. Everybody, every single one, I have preferences, you have preferences, we all have preferences. And if our preferences aren't met, we're not happy. Music's too loud. Music's not loud enough. Music's too old. Music's too new. I like this style. I don't like that style. I want this. I want that. And we come in, and if it doesn't make it, what do we do? We go away dejected and unhappy. You know why? Because when that's our attitude and that's our heart, we'll never meet God. You'll never meet God if it's about your preferences. Here's how you meet God in a worship service. You meet God 
by before you ever walk into the building, before you ever drive onto the parking lot, before you ever leave your house, you spend time in prayer, praying to God, praying, I desire you more than anything. I pray that I will meet you there today. I pray that I will hear from you there today. I pray that even though the preacher can't preach a lick, that I'll hear from you as he reads your word. I pray that the music will speak to my soul as I read the words or hear the words of it because we make sure that that's there and that I pray that I come into your presence and that I'm around the people of God and that as I encounter the people of God that I will inspire the presence of God on them and that they will inspire it on me and that we will be drawn up to you and face down before you in worship. Anything less is idolatry. We don't come here for us. Look, when, when the angel says, worship God, worship him, he's like, get on your face before God and give him his due. It's not about you. It's not about the experience. It's not about all the stuff going on. It is about him. It is about him. And what he says is, he says, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride. The bride. Who's the bride? Remember the bride? We're the bride. The church is the bride. The bride. The church is saying, come. We're inviting people in. We're making him known. We are being aware of the, of the idolatry and the things around us. We are doing that. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. The next person who comes along, they're to in turn say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, the one who doesn't know Christ, but is looking and trying to fill the void, let them come. The invitation is out there for all to come. That's the command. <clears throat> so we're called to be faithful witnesses to God. We are called to, to be aware of the subtle idols the subtle and seductive idols in our church and culture. And then we are called to glorify God and experience blessing. Glorify God and experience blessing. The point is, is that we are to glorify him in everything that we do, and it results in eternal blessing. Paul put it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter um, how God wired you or made you. What he says is, he said, you just do it to the glory of God because God made you, you. And that's a good thing. Do it to his glory. Live it out according to his word. Be the person that he created you to be. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul, he, 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 he has this this song basically is breaking out in and, and, and speaking about God. And, he, and then he ends, he says, and, and who has given something to God that God owes him anything? Nobody. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Glorify God and experience his blessing. You see, it's the water of life that we receive without price. Um, he says, come and let the one who is thirsty, let the one who desires take the water of life without price, he says in verse 17. Come and receive it, this gift from God. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Isaiah says this 800 years before John. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that 
which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So as you come in, just like Isaiah said, just like John is saying here, it's the story of the word of God. And he says, look, don't buy that which can't satisfy. Invest your life in the things of God. Invest yourself in the person of Jesus. Invest yourself in the kingdom of God. And wherever the chips fall, trust God. Trust God. Look, when you go back to these seven churches, somebody says, look, I know you're being persecuted. I know you're being beat to death. I know that you're seeing people die. I know that you're seeing bad things happen, but I want to tell you something. I'm with you. When, when those martyrs cried out from under the altar, remember that's the place where the blood flows. And they said, how long, O oh Lord, how long? How long will this go on? And he said, just a little more longer, just a little bit longer, until all of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are there. How long? Until all the number of those who suffer, suffer. See, it's contrary. It's contrary to our culture. It's contrary to the way that we live. It's contrary to the way that we think. Because it's the mind of God. And, and, and it's different, and He calls us into this relationship with Him where He becomes our satisfier. He becomes the one who fills us. He becomes the one who is important to us. And, and it just changes everything that we do. It changes how we approach church. It changes how we approach service. It changes how we look at the little kids who come up here and, and decide, you know what, are, are, they, are they something that we have to bother with or take care of? Or is this our joy and our privilege? You know, it, it just changes everything. It changes the way that we see our jobs. It changes the way we see the people around us. It, it changes what, what, <clears throat> what we experience because even at there, you know, you've got this invitation being, in, in, being given here. At the end, he's, he's saying, you know, blessed are those who have washed their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. So they didn't make themselves good enough. Jesus did it. They just entered into and started following. They just entered into and started following. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and, and so forth. And, and um, they're, they're not coming in. You know, you've got the temple. Remember, we talked about the temple. You've got the inside of the temple. You've got the outside of the temple. The clean's inside. The unclean's outside. And, and you can't come inside unless you're clean. And only Jesus can make us clean. And, and um, he goes on and he says, come, come. He's inviting all these groups of people to come, to come and taste of the water of life. You see, this book matters because it shows us what we can't see. It shows us what's really going on. It shows us what heaven will be like. It shows us that if we have preferences and, and we're not happy because our preferences aren't met, it shows us that in heaven, you better suck it up. Because in heaven, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There are going to be people from every generation that's ever lived on this planet. There are going to be people who eat weird food. Which I'm still trying to reconcile. But I know that in heaven, I've got eternity to learn to love it. 
And right now, I need to love God more than anything else because I think once I get to heaven, it's just going to be absolutely beyond my imagination. The new heaven and new earth are going to be unbelievable. That's the promise of God. You see, this book matters because it shows us what we can't see. It shows us that God is sovereign. It shows us that God is in control. It shows us that we don't have to worry about everything that's going on around us. Instead, we need to trust God and follow him and allow him to do what only God can do. It gives us hope in the darkest of times. It reminds us that God is on the throne and we are victors in Christ Jesus. That, that's what it reminds us of. So as we come in, <clears throat> I just challenge you, just, just think about it, you know? Think about the greatness and the glory of God. Think about this. In the next, you know, a lot, a lot of, I see faces out there I've not seen before. You know, my guess is a lot of you are, have come to see Alaska. And, and, and you're coming about the same time as the fish come, so a lot of you like to fish. And we see this every year. And, and here's the thing. This, it, it, it's an amazing thing. Because there are people who come here from West Texas, and they've never seen anything but rattlesnakes, jackrabbits, and tumbleweeds. And, and they land in the airport in Anchorage, and, 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 and it's just mind-boggling. I remember because I, I came here. And landed in the airport in December. And it was dark. It was dark when I got up the next morning and went to work. And when it got light, I looked out and I, I saw, oh my gosh, man, there are mountains everywhere. I've never seen mountains like this. They don't grow mountains in Texas. Not where I'm from. There'll be people from Colorado here who think they have mountains. Because I lived in Colorado as well. And they'll come here and they'll worship with us on Sunday. You know why? They didn't come here to worship fish. They didn't come here to worship mountains. They came here to experience the blessing of God that he's given to them because he's been good enough to them that they can make it from wherever they are to see something else that he's done. Thanks for coming to worship with us. God wants to do amazing things here. We've got people who came out to help build this thing over here so that we can do better with our ministry. They're using their skills. God's going to use that for years to come. That's just who he is. It's just who he is. God wants to do things in your life, and, and he wants to remind you that he is sovereign. He is on the throne and that we have victory in Christ Jesus over all things, over all things. It comes back to trusting in him. That victory may not look like victory in this world, but it's a victory that's beyond imagination. It's a victory that lasts for all generations, and the things that we invest in now 
pay dividends for eternity. That's the promise of God. That's the hope of God. That's why we study this book, because you look around you and you think, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's happening in our world? Don't worry about our world. Trust God. He's on the throne. Live out your life the way that he made you to be. Serve the way he created you to serve. And trust him. Trust him to do what only he can do. And, and in, when we move to that, and when we move into that kind of worship, we move into that kind of trust, we move into that kind of hope, God's going to do absolutely amazing things, and he's going to give us a peace that can't be shattered. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the hope that you've given to us in your word. Father, we praise you that you promised to not allow sin to go on forever, that you have conquered it, that you have bound Satan, that he has no power, he has no authority over us, that our hope is in you, our hope is in, in, in your word that you've given to us, that reveals you to us, and that our future is eternity with you, face to face. Father, help us to trust you, help us, Lord, to love you beyond anything else, and help us, Lord, to trust in you for all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?